This is Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois. The podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. And now here's your host, Navy SEAL founder of Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, Rob Dubois. As you know, I joined the Navy to be a SEAL, but got stuck on the way for a 10-year career with NSA as a Russian SME or subject matter expert. And that was based on my high aptitude for languages. And the Navy said, we'll give you any language you want if you promise to work for us in this contract for NSA as a linguist. I said, sure. It was 1985. The Soviets were a really cool enemy. James Bond was all the rage. And I said, let me go after the Russians. They said, you got it. Then I said, at boot camp, okay, let me go after the Navy SEAL career. And they said, you ain't got it because this is a non-source rating. You're blocked, my friend. And I said, wait, what? They told me I could do both at the recruiter station. Lessons learned. And so I flowed on into the uh, NSA spook world and did that for 10 years, relatively more or less honorably serving. And finally, I was long enough in the tooth to get into the teams, into the SEAL teams and, and fought my way into the training with a waiver because of my job exclusivity. I got a waiver to join the, to go to BUDS and went to BUDS, became a SEAL and did 10 more years as that. So I call myself a nerd thug, half NSA Intel, half Navy SEAL operations. That background is what led me ultimately in the early 2000s into red teaming, which a lot of folks know I've been doing for a long time now, over 20 years. Red teaming being adversarial emulation, becoming the enemy in the way I do it, as you'll hear more about today, there's a couple of different ways, a few different ways of understanding what red teaming is. Those of you in the cybersecurity world will know what red teaming means, uh, penetration testing. You'll perceive it as red teaming is how do you hack into a system? There are other ways, academic ways, uh, analytically, methodical ways. And so what I did, what I've most done in my career in red teaming is become the enemy, become the terrorist. Think through bin Laden's mind and look out through his eyes at what he would want to attack. And then tell that commander or, or company leader, this is where you're vulnerable, this is where you're most appealing, and this is how they can get you. Here's how you stop them from getting you. And that's what red teaming is in a nutshell. Uh, because I was a nerd thug, half uh, spook, half seal, I was able to kind of be a, a committee in one head. And that's why red teaming was an easy fit for me. I could do the intelligence process of the terrorist work and the operational planning for the terrorist work. And and I love, love doing that work. If you need red teaming consulting, hit us up. You know, we have a, we have some skill sets inside Impact Actual that are that go beyond the traditional whole person development. But the reason I'm talking about this today and how that hybridization of mindset and, uh, and experience led to my red teaming is because our guest today is an absolute expert in the field, a close personal friend of mine, and one fellow I've worked with in the past extensively in red teaming and learning a lot from him on how one does red teaming from the actual academic intelligent way using different methodologies. So, uh, We'll come back to that in a moment, but let me say first, hello, Eric Bond, co-host, Impact Coach. Welcome aboard. What's happening, gentlemen? It's glad to be here. No one has ever accused me of being a nerd. Thug, yes. Nerd, no. So you're a, you're a special unicorn, Rob. I'm, 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 I'm a self-accused. I'm the, the accused of the, by the self. I'm not afraid of uh, terms that are unflattering as long as they're accurate. <laughs> call me anything, but don't call me late for dinner. So, Eric, we have a really, really cool show today. Like I've introduced here, uh, 
this guest is a, a very close personal friend of mine, and I and I really admire his incredible ability to not only do the red teaming work that he'll talk about and how you in the in the audience can listen to can find ways to apply this critical thinking alternative analysis and ways to look at the world through different lenses you know like i said we've worked together on some projects and we've come up with some really insightful surprising ways for our clients to say holy shit that's possible thank you for telling me i'm glad i know so now i can stop that thing from happening and it's always based on reality for good red teamers it's based on actual existing vulnerabilities. So without further ado, Brian Noonan McDermott, we will come back to the Noonan part shortly. Welcome to Beyond Your Limits. No, Rob, Eric, thank you so very much for having me on on your podcast. And, uh, you know, thanks for Impact Actual for thinking enough of me to want to talk about red teaming from maybe a different perspective that some may not know exists. Yeah, a lot of folks don't even know what it is in the basic format. And then, like I said, many people think it's this, maybe, and many people think it's that. And I've found in my you know twenty plus year career in red teaming that everybody thinks it's something, but not everything. And the reality is, as we know from red teaming and being professionals in the field, it is everything in terms of emulation, whether it's analysis, whether it's cyber technologies and techniques, whether it's growing my hair in a braid and a big beard and carrying a pizza through the front gate of Annapolis and, and getting the captain as Dick Marcinko and his guys did, used to do in the red cell after they built seal team six red teaming is everything that goes beyond the standard security protocols and, and looks at things, looks at the target through creative eyes. So let me, let me hear a little bit, let, let the listener hear a little bit about your background because it is unusual for a Marine Corps aviator to find his way into this field. I didn't go into this and I'll, I'll ask you to, to speak to it, but you retired out of the Marine Corps, well, Lieutenant Colonel, with wings on your chest from flying, but you also did some, some creative analysis stuff in the Corps, I think, before you retired, right? And then flowed into the actually becoming an instructor of red teaming processes. Please expand on that a little for us. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. So, uh, so I was in the Marine Corps for 20 years. Uh, I was an aviator flying a CH-53 Echo Super Sea Stallions for about 15 years. And after I got my uh, master's degree at Command of Staff College, I did a tour at uh, the Captain's Career Course, which is Expeditionary Warfare School uh, located on Quantico in Resident. And I was a faculty advisor and a couple other things there. My first uh, two years I was there. And then the next year I was supposed to be the senior instructor for the entire the entire group. And this was around 2012 and 13. And this is when uh, the Marine Corps had the one and possibly only aviator as the commandant. <laughs> and he came up with uh, this thing called uh, red teaming. And uh, now a two-star general, but at the time, uh, Fulbright Colonel, uh, looked at me and, you know, I had intellectual curiosity. I actually stood out to him a couple of times when he did not like aviators. And I kept having to remind him that, you know, 30 year student population are, you know, aviation related, not just pilots, but also the, the aviation supply and, and the maintenance officers. So one day he called me into his office. He goes, uh, hey, Brian, uh, uh, you're going to, we're going to send you off and you're not going to be the, the senior instructor anymore. You're going to be doing this thing called red teaming. And I was like, what is red teaming? And he, I won't say the exact language, but he was like, go figure it out. So that's how I got involved into red teaming. And I went to uh, now the school, is, AKA the Army Red Team School is called University of Foreign Military Cultural Studies or UFMCS. 
And that school closed in October, 2021. But before that, for over 10 years, I think almost 15 years, they were training people in this methodology called red teaming, which has been codified in a couple of joint Department of Defense publications and in the Marine Corps planning process publication and the Army red teaming planning process publication. But basically, it's a flexible cognitive approach to thinking and planning, which is specifically tailored to whatever organization you are a part of. And it uses some uh, structured tools, some may call them in the, in the intelligence community, uh, structure analytic techniques. Other red team tools are also facilitation tools. So it's a combination of those two to help uh, challenge implicit, which is the more dangerous one, or explicit assumptions, expose information we might not have otherwise thought about the first time or first go around, and also develop alternatives that uh, may not have realized to exist in a plan or or an operation the first time around. And the uh, purpose of a red teamer is to uh, kind of be that contrarian of in the planning process of trying to develop alternatives for the, the decision maker to come up with or bring up a completely different scenario, whether it's uh, you know low probability but high impact. Oh, by the way, if I mention any kind of books, I have no, I get no kickbacks, I get no uh, uh, money for. But Michelle Wooker wrote the book The Gray Rhino, and she calls high impact, high impact, uh, high probability, high impact events gray rhinos because a lot of times we we put our head in the sand, we ignore this uh, looming thing until it's about to come on us or maybe run us over. And that's where a red team are supposed to challenge those assumptions, supposed to mitigate cognitive and cultural biases that everyone naturally has in order to be as objective as possible in order to help the decision maker have a holistic approach of the situation at hand in this case, and then make that make the decision as best you can, understanding the implications, uh, second and third order effects of whatever they decide upon at that time. So that's pretty much what the Army Red Teaming, which yes, they use Marines for it too, in order to do that. The, the concept of the school was to make these whole red teams for the Army. Obviously, the Marine Corps is a lot smaller, so they were talking about sprinkling a couple of people in, in some uh, larger organizations and then uh, some other people train in red teaming. So whenever a red team had to stand up to handle a certain situation or handle a certain problem or an operation uh, planning process, then the team could assemble, do what it needs to do. And then except for those one or two people, go back to the regularly scheduled duties and billets that they had to do. Like a QRF for thinking, a quick reaction force. Pretty much. For, good, for Pretty better much. thinking process. We try to. We try to. And, and uh, the four principles that were taught at the uh, – uh, UFMCS were uh, self-reflection and awareness. The other one was applied critical thinking, using some of these uh, facilitation techniques and tools. And some of these cognitive tools are also to uh, help groupthink mitigation and also better foster what they call foster cu cultural empathy. If you don't like the word empathy, foster cultural awareness. At least in the military side, we can go back to uh, where we may have failed a little bit in that. Uh, you know, my experience in uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom, I would say, uh, you know, after we did concluded official combat operations, when President Bush landed on the, on an aircraft carrier, <laughs> th three, four years later, we didn't want to use the word insurgency, but that kind of thing was going up. And obviously because of, it was the same geography. It's the same general people we were dealing with, the same urban and same rural population, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? The problem was completely different two or three years afterwards. Actually, in uh, Bryce Hoffman's book, Red Teaming, he interviewed a 
retired Colonel Rockoff, who was the director at UFMCS when I was a, a, a student there. And they talked to a prominent cleric, uh, Shia cleric. Two generals did, uh, you know, at this time, uh, then Colonel Rockoff was told, shut up and take notes. And pretty much the cleric was like, look, if, if you do what you say you're going to do, you're going to unleash unleash a much worse situation than what we already have. So let us die on our own slow death under Saddam Hussein, because what you're talking about, what you're going to, what you plan on doing, like replacing the leadership or dismantling the leadership, dismantling the military, dismantling the, the politicians at that time, you're going to unleash uh, a cultural war between, you know, Shias and, and, and uh, Sunni Muslims. Well, we really didn't pay attention to that. And, and other factors going in there. And then that's when energy started happening. Yeah, we thought that everything would be fine if we removed all the military age armed males and trained males from the army, the police force, and politics. Let's just send them all home unemployed from their former prestigious and relatively affluent work. Let's send 100,000 men home and pissed with their AK-47s and hope everything works out fine. And I'll, I'll, I'll put, throw a name out there, Paul Bremer. God bless him. You know, I, I don't, I don't, a lot of people throw the, that name out there and they say it with contempt, like Paul Bremer did this. It wasn't Paul Bremer as the governor in placement. He was kind of like, um, who was that guy? Pontius Pilate, in a way. He was the governor over this foreign land from the great empire back in the States and he made decisions, and he believed it was a good idea to, to close down the Bathists. But a lot of Bathists in Saddam's, in his political party, were card-carrying because that was the economy. That's how you get a, make a living. I actually have copies in my infinite deep boxes of, of artifacts from the past 30 or 40 years of my work around the world with uh, card-carrying communist cards and the photo and the name, card-carrying Nazi photo and name uh, of the guy. And I always wonder, was this dude sympathetic to Stalin's purges? Was he sympathetic to Hitler's abuses? Or was he just a guy just trying to make a living because Timmy, Tammy, and Tommy needed dinner? You know, people have to be fed. The family has to be taken care of. So it is important to be aware of context. Very important to be aware of context. And that's what yes, you talked about is. here with the foster cultural empathy. Hey Brian, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Command General Staff College. My grandfather actually taught there. No he kidding. was a uh, he was a he was a full bird army colonel. So he was in uh, in D Day and you know, all that kind of stuff. And wow. So at the time, time of D Day, he was a captain. Um, and then after his military career, he worked for Bell Aerospace as a as a rocket scientist. Uh, did a lot of work. Jeez. NASA and actually helped. Um, he was, his design team designed the uh, the rocket engines for the, the lunar landing module. Oh no, first, kidding! For the first moon landing with Buzz, uh, uh, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin. So, so yeah, so he actually taught. So when he said that, I was like, oh, cool. You know, grandpa taught there, taught there back in the day. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, my master's unfortunately still held validity when we pull out of Afghanistan. I thought it was useful as a waste pa uh, the backboard for a waste basket. You know, I figured might as well get it, you know, while I'm here, it's being paid for and uh, never thought I would use it. Cause I thought I'd be going to the airlines. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was interesting though, he would have, he had a you know, few famous people that kind of rolled through there. Like, uh, like Terry McAuliffe, who uh, told the Germans nuts in the battle of the bulge. Uh, oh, wow. He was, he was a student of my, a student of my, uh, my grandfather's, um, you know, and a few other, 
few other people that were are very uh, would have some recognizable names that people would would notice. So that's awesome. Brian, you mentioned. Well, you know what? Screw that. I'm not going to go to the formal business stuff. I'm going to talk about Noonan for a moment. I know you as Brian technically, but Noonan officially. How deep are you willing to go on the origins of the call sign? Because that's often a very sacred uh, and special, quiet place, a sacred <laughs> private place. Oh, I'm I'm happy to do I'm happy to do so. So the reason why I got Noonan is uh, so if you remember Caddyshack, if and I know uh, the younger viewers may not have seen that movie, probably wouldn't be made today, but it's a great movie. Got to watch it. And the character Danny Noonan, he was a caddy at uh, Bushwood Country Club, right? Well, I was a caddy for about, uh, I think about 14 years. And so, yes, there is an actual scholarship called the Evans Scholarship. And I applied and very thankfully, I was able to get that scholarship. So, you know, a uh, story for another day is I went to undergrad for six years, best six years of my life. The only thing I could say is I came out as a commercial pilot, an aircraft mechanic, and a history major, and an English minor because they didn't want to take aviation as a minor or an elective. So that cost another mm-hmm. two years of school for me. So when I finally got through training and, and uh, you know, through the Marine training of everyone, uh, riflemen for initial training, I went to flight school and then got selected for uh, 53's East Coast. Showed up at uh, Marine Corps Air Station New River, which is right near Jacksonville, North Carolina, near Camp Lejeune. And I was standing duty, one of my first, Things you do is you stay in duty. So I was standing what they call the ODO, the operations duty officer. So when there's a flight schedule going on, you're you're kind of first person answering the phones and being on the base radio, you know, letting uh, you know the local traffic of your squadron know there's weather out there. Hey, CO said everyone come back now and something like that. So I was standing duty and I was talking to another uh, friend of mine, uh, Lars Strandberg. His call sign was Coma because he just wouldn't talk for like 15 or 20 seconds. We asked him a question and I started talking about my time as uh, being a caddy. And then uh, my first commanding officer at the time, uh, Colonel Anderson, he kind of heard us and he likes quoting Animal House and 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 Caddyshack. He goes, Noonan, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are you going to mm-hmm. be part of the team? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Noonan's fine, sir. Danny, whatever, you know, you're the commanding officer, whatever you want to call him. And he goes, Noonan. And all the other stupid crap I've done in my career, I've never been caught. So yeah. it's never been changed. So Noonan, that's how I got my call sign was because of Caddyshack and being a caddy. You got no shame-based reallocations of call signs. Uh, I myself dodged a couple of those bullets thankfully, too. Thankfully I not. was the goat because I can eat anything <laughs> and always did on any, any deployment in any country from any street vendor. <laughs> Never got sick. Not because I'm horny, not because I have a beard, not because I stink. Those are three other reasons of being a goat, but mine's just because I can eat anything without dying. And I had many opportunities to have it changed for a shame-based event, but never quite stuck. (laughs) The other ones didn't stick. So you mentioned, this is really critical, uh, kind of another segue. You mentioned foster cultural empathy as one of the, the, the pillars of red teaming. And People who've read Powerful Peace, a Navy SEAL's Lessons on Peace from a Lifetime at War, know that it's it's chock full of fostering cultural empathy. And you mentioned that it's also a distasteful, an undesirable term, empathy, in some people's minds today. And I agree with that, and I, and I want to point out for the listener that it's a ridiculous 
bias or ridiculous stigma because to be empathetic does not mean to be touchy-feely. It does not mean to be fragile or delicate or a snowflake. To be empathetic means I have a superpower of perceiving something. And I've told my own students in the dojo in our traditional Japanese style, the stuff the samurai taught each other, so that they wouldn't die when they lost their sword in a war. It's, it's life and death stuff. And, and the more sensitive you are in a fight, it's not about being sensitive like, oh, you hurt my feelings. It's about being sensitive like, where's this guy going to go next? Where's his hand going to go? Where's his knife going to go? Where's his foot going to go? Perceiving, that perception is, is the, the root of empathy. And empathy, in, as you describe with cultures, means I'm going to be a more effective human being when I understand where they're coming from. Yeah, it's a very important pillar to understand because, and it's not just, I'll say, culture between uh, you know, the U.S. and maybe someone from the U.K. or maybe someone from Japan. It also, it's also tying into organizations. Um, you, know, you know, Rob mentioned you're a SEAL, you know, as a Marine, you know, we're kind of part of a cult, right? So, um, and we... You know, we can joke with each other, but, you know, there are certain uh, characteristics that people might stereotype, which kind of ties into ethnocentrism. And that's usually natural in everyone's culture. You, you think you're better than everybody else. Americans think we're great. The Russians think they're great. You know, Marines think we're great. You know, LAPD, they think they're probably the best police department in the United States. But uh, truly, in a simple term, is you can truly change your perspective and walk in man or woman's or their shoes and truly understand how they see the world and what things may have influenced how they perceive the world through the lens that they have. That is the important part, which uh, I have read Powerful Peace, and, and you had part of that in, um, I believe it was in, uh, there's the heart. Yeah, there's body, the mind, heart, and soul, the four and, human powers. that part. So in the mind and, and the soul, I saw that in your book. And there are other books that, that kind of talk about that too, that help me better understand to mitigate. And there's some techniques in, in uh, what's called the Red Team Handbook. UFMCS put that out. I was a contributor on the last one before uh, the school shut down. There, there are some techniques you can use to, to slow your mind down. This ties into critical thinking. Just slow your mind down and better understand the perspective or the way uh, things are being seen by that organization or, or that person, you know, corporate culture is the same thing in, in order to better understand so you can have a better conversation and ask better questions and keep an open mind, which is very tough to do, especially when you might feel that maybe your values are being challenged and to better understand that empathy. You know, uh, my family is what, fourth generation, I think, Chicago Police Department now. So obviously in the last few years, it's it's been a little tough between, uh, you know, being a member of law enforcement and maybe a member of the community at large. There have been some very significant uh, events that have happened in the last few years where maybe there's trust that's broken down between, I'll say, the general public at large and maybe some of their law enforcement. So I, I know I'm very, uh, I know I am biased towards law enforcement. I mean, I, I, I know what my brother does. Uh, I know what my father did and his brother and my grandfather. And uh, I think... Uh, earlier relative than my grandfather. So understanding that, but I also know how I grew up, where I grew up may not, it's definitely not the same experience as other people in the general public. So I have to think about that and truly understand uh, the grievances that, that, you know, those particular types have in order to better foster that cultural empathy or cultural awareness. So to lower my 
lower my emotional state so I can be more level-headed, more objective, and ask better questions to better understand truly where they're from. Because I'm not that other entity or that other organization that I'm trying to think of. So that's where understanding that in order to ask those better questions and keep a level mind, open mind to have a better conversation about, you know, especially those those thorny topics and those uh, very uh, could be divisive topics that that are at least prevalent in today's. today's yeah, society. all too prevalent. Brian, how much does from from like a war standpoint, having respect for your opponent or adversary, so to speak, kind of play into what you just talked about there? Um, because I, I think it's like I think from people from the outside, like especially me. I mean, I've I've never been. You know, I've never been a member of the military, even though my 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 father, my sister, and my grandfather have served, and my great uncle, and many generations before that have all served in the military. But I understand it from a sports standpoint, where respecting your opponent is extremely important, um, not underestimating, you know, not overestimating, or underestimating. How is that kind of woven into kind of what you're talking about right now? Yeah, absolutely. So you already touched on it. So if tying into that natural tendency of cultures and organizations to be leaning towards ethnocentrism, uh, the, the countered as cultural relativism, you know, I'll use a Marine example, uh, in world war two, right. You know, obviously in the Pacific, uh, theater, the Marines fought the Japanese. And I'll, I, I know from reading books and also having, uh, the pleasure of talking to, uh, Iwo Jima veterans and, and Wake Island veterans, even, you know, they respected their adversary. They knew they were uh, very good at fighting at night. They, they were very disciplined uh, and stuff like that. So uh, if you respect, even if, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'll use a football analogy too. I'm, I'm a Bears fan. Uh, my brother-in-law, God bless him. Uh, he's a Packers fan. He grew up around Green Bay. He went to school at University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. He's also 6'8". And so I really can't do anything to him because he'll, he'll make me uh, a pink mist, right? But I may quote unquote, not like the Packers, but I definitely respect their, their team and their organization and, and the city that they represent. And, and, uh, you know, that way I don't try and underestimate or overestimate my capabilities. If I'm turning it to the military state, I try not to overestimate my capabilities by having respect and better understanding how that other entity, that other organizations, how they, as best I can, how they think and how they prepare and do actions and stuff like that. So that's where cultural empathy, which tying in, you know, if I were to do some links, you know, tying into uh, critical thinking in order to be better think of how I can mitigate the obstacles or risks that I have to undertake in order to make sure that whatever plan or decision I have to come up with, whether I have to make the decision or somebody else has to make a decision, that they make the best decision possible in order we can, you know, reach our end state with the highest probability of success. And hopefully uh, in the case of wartime, you know, minimum, minimum casualties and, and uh, not just for the Americans, but also for the uh, uh, local population that is civilian. You know, they don't they don't care that you're there. Well, they do care, but, you know, they don't care about the other person being there. They just want to be left alone and, you know, have peace and prosperity. Yeah, it's about effectiveness, ultimately. That's why this topic of red teaming is so important, because like I referenced earlier, it, it's like a QRF, a quick reaction force for better thinking. Using methods, using analytical techniques to, to think through a problem set and get better answers is never a bad thing. And empathy, being able to understand, to perceive the other person or other organization's other side's uh, experience of the of the conflict, 
or another situation is not agreeing with it. It's just understanding it. Stephen Covey said, seek first to understand, then to be understood. That's a very specific order for a very specific reason in the seven habits. Seek first to understand means I don't want to be a dumbass. I'm, I'm going to be as smart as possible going into this negotiation, this fight, this love, relationship, whatever the situation is, understand the best possible for the other side and be more effective. You mentioned, Brian, uh, this goes back to what I was, I captured, I, I quoted you real quick. I want to just uh, capture that flexible, a flexible cognitive approach to thinking and planning. That's the better thinking, the better way. And like you said, today with the division and the lack of understanding of the other side in our divisive American culture today, I know you have a lot to share on that here, or I know what you're sharing has a lot of value, I mean, is what I'm trying to say, to today's crisis. Because as you also said, it's about exposing assumptions and information that wouldn't be otherwise accessed. We, we need that critical thinking more than ever today before we literally divide ourselves into, into being a, a sitting duck for an actual adversary to come across and divide and conquer. We divide ourselves, right? Yeah, and you know this ties into you know when you mention assumptions, you know, as, as a lot of people know, you make assumptions because you don't have information. The human mind does not like not knowing. You know, that's just that's just how we're wired. Um, and the more dangerous assumptions are those implicit assumptions. Uh, you know, uh, real quick story I used to teach when I was at uh, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, uh, where. After the Rodney King incident happened in the early 90s, you know, there was rioting in, in, in uh, California and Los Angeles and Watts and Compton and some of those areas. And the Marines at that time were actually asked to provide security for law enforcement and then law enforcement do their duties. And there's a story I had heard about there was a, uh, you know, a house that had suspected uh, bad people in it. Um, can't remember if it was gang, gang members or, or, or drug runners, whatever the case may be. And they're suspected to be armed and dangerous. And the, uh, police around there, I think it was, uh, share LA sheriff, uh, there had to serve a search warrant and there was actually a fire team of Marines, uh, which is four Marines. And at that time, three of them had, uh, M16, uh, assault rifles and one had a, uh, what they call a squad automatic weapon, a saw, which had 200 uh, rounds in a nylon belt fed. Um, and uh, uh, when the uh, law enforcement was going to go serve the warrant, they used the term cover me. Well, cover me in law enforcement is you have your weapon drawn and you will fire when you see a threatening act that's going to happen or has occurred. Well, cover me in, in I'll say in the Marines, I think it's somewhere in the army, maybe in the SEALs, I'll, I'll, you, I'll defer to you, Rob. Cover means you lay down a a right. cover fire while the maneuver element gets into a better position. So, you know, after a couple hundred rounds were let go and people were screaming, cease fire, cease fire. All of a sudden you see these things getting thrown out of that house look like weapons. And then you see, you know, however many individuals in there were, were walked out and thankfully no one got hurt or killed, but this goes back into that term, cover me. People were uh, American in both the in LA Sheriff, both in the Marines. English was our primary language. They they were taught in a Western style schooling up through at least through high school. But the term meant two different things to those organizations. And this kind of ties back and not just in the military, I'd also say in a business organization, tying in implicit assumptions because we don't like looking not smart. So uh yeah, of course. Uh do you know what I'm talking about? Right. Of course I know what you're talking about. 
do you really ask a question in the case of red teaming is maybe use a facilitation technique or use uh, to help a group of people have a better conversation to uh, identify all the language that needs to be covered, whether it's in uh, military or in business. And at that time, you you label out, okay, this this phrase or this word means this. Does everybody agree with this? Yes, no. If you don't agree, hey, what's your what's your definition? Maybe we can synthesize a definition we can all agree on, and then move forward from there. So this ties more into critical thinking, but tying in that implied assumptions and and there's a ton of cognitive biases out there. That's just the way we're wired and how we think and do things. And and there's some red teaming techniques that can not just help and apply critical thinking, but also groupthink mitigation. And you know, an example of a tool uh, right now I'm thinking of is a, a very simple technique that I actually learned from uh, my buddy Will. His call signs Raz Razgrushek, a C46 and a V22 pilot. Uh, think right, share. Uh, so if you if you have to uh, think about something uh, when you think. Uh, that's when your heuristic decision-making uh, kicks into play, right? The first thing usually comes to your mind. Well, if you think about it, if you force your mind to write or you can draw it uh, out, that slows down your mind and you put logic and reasoning from your mind down to the medium you're on, whether you're writing on paper, putting it in, in a, you know, uh, electronic presentation, whatever, whatever, whatever you're doing. And then we feel like sharing You'll, at least if I'm doing this with you, Rob, and you, Eric, and the group of three, we've all, you know, what's the two top priorities in the organization we need to address? We'll each come up with our own. Maybe it's the same. Hopefully, they're a little bit different. But we have come up with that logic and reasoning of what we thought those two top priorities are. And then if we allow a chance to share in a certain method, uh, and there's a technique out there called uh, when you share you allow each person up to the same amount of time to share their initial thoughts. So if we all take two minutes, if we're done in a minute and a half, great, but you had an opportunity for two minutes. So everyone has an equal chance to share their thoughts. So now you've understand there's a logic and reasoning. And if there's any kind of assumptions, then you ask a question. Hey, or uh, when you hear a word, uh, when you said this, what did you mean by that? And then you let the person that said it, make their explanation. And now uh, there's a common understanding of what that word means or what that phrase means. Uh, you know, you know, Eric might say, Hey, uh, I thought of this and my assumption was X, Y, Z. Wow. I didn't even come up with that assumption. That's Eric. That's a great point. Why don't we, why don't we capture that so we can have this information that we can, you know, for trying to figure out the top two priorities we need to address and we can synthesize all of our thoughts into that. And we may have more than two. We may have four or five that come up. And then there's other techniques that you can do uh, to to weigh those uh, categories or things that you came up with. And uh, uh, I'll just say weighted anonymous feedback is one of the most common ones that we can use. There's two techniques in the, in the uh, handbook. Uh, five will get you 25 and uh, dot voting. I, I prefer dot voting. And that's a way for and you. Basically, you take a medium, I'll say a, a card, and hey, we got these six ideas between the three of us. We need to come up with the top two. Uh, what are the top two? I'll give you uh, three dots. You can uh, you can put uh, you can't can't have your dots, right? You can put those two dots in any you know in one category or split them in in the three. You can also modify the tool saying, hey, you can't vote for your own stuff, and that's fine too. And basically, once you uh, uh, 
deliver the means of how you want this done, then you do this, you do it anonymously. I don't want your name on the paper. You know, I'll collect it and then we'll tally up the votes. If we have a tie, we'll just do another dot voting on those two or three things. And that way we will have anonymous feedback on how we rack and stack the first two of these in this hypothetical situation, six things we all came up with between the three of us. And even though I may not necessarily agree with the top two, I'm more willing to accept it because we all had buy into this process and all had a chance to talk about it, think about it, ask questions and rank these. Uh, we all had an equal opportunity to do, to do that. So, uh, you know, uh, this is where usually uh, one of the techniques I use when I'm facilitating is I usually start off with the more junior person and lead up to the most senior person, uh, you know, in the, uh, Rob in the military, it's very hierarchical. Um, uh, but this also ties into culture. If you, a lot of Asian cultures are very respectful for their elders. So if you start off with the, the, the most elder person, most senior person, or if you're looking at a corporation, the most, you know, uh, CEO or the, the vice president of whatever, if they start talking, everyone agrees. So starting that other way is a better way for everyone to contribute. And even the uh, better thing is if you do it that way, that's where that senior person may hear some things he or she had not thought about. And that would help that senior person have a more holistic appreciation of, of you know, the problem set that they have to solve or, or have to make a plan, whether it's a, a business opportunity to make, you know, to get capture it and, and obviously increase the revenue for their company or uh, something else, uh, something different, like making a plan that has the best chance of being executed, uh, you know, like a military operation. I know that I have ethnocentrism within my own brain. You know, my opinion is always the best one I can think of. <laughs> And I think I'm not alone in that, but I want to call myself out, you know, and just say this is what I acknowledge about myself. And I love working with the impact team, the Lions, our leadership team, and saying, you know, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And we hear other opinions, and I come to a better conclusion. I may have the final vote, but I appreciate having the inputs because I can't think as well as five solid thinkers can do. People with diverse perspectives and a lot of experience make better conclusions. You mentioned commonality of terms, that's essential in communication. Basic communication 101, understand what the hell the terms mean, you know, before you fight about them. And today's division within families, within marriages, within society and the political spectrum is all about fighting about what I think that word means. The word secure in the service is one of our best examples across the four the well, with love and respect to the Coast Guard and Space Force, the four services, the, you know, say, secure that building. And the Marines will charge in and kill everyone who doesn't submit, uh, and then it will be secured. The Army won't enter the building. They'll establish a perimeter, and they'll stand out there with their guns, making sure nobody goes in or comes out. The Navy will walk through and turn off all the lights and lock the doors, and the Air Force will find a realtor and secure a lease because it doesn't mean the same thing to anybody. So I love this quote. I've been capturing your, your taking notes on what you've said. You made, you made a, com a comment about have a better conversation. That's what this really all comes down to, I think. It's about having a better conversation. And I don't want to wind down the episode without addressing that critical issue. You know, critical thinking is something that's, that's really suffering today. Social media 
people say it's research when they sit on the toilet and watch Facebook posts. You know, that's not research, people. Come on. It's, it may be a great starting point. Use it for sourcing, but do source things when you see them. And for you, Noonan, I want to make sure I give you the, the last say here about having a better conversation. What would you leave the listeners with in recommendations? Because we don't want the country to tear itself apart any further than it has already. How can we possibly, for those that are interested, talk with somebody who doesn't think the exact same they do? Yeah, if I could take a step back, as you bring up a real uh, important point about uh, sourcing and and a lot of a lot of books, at least in my experience uh, in uh, DoD and, and uh, supporting the intelligence community as a as a contractor, um, and this is hard to do. You have to purposely find information that is for the other point that you especially if you disagree with it. So look for, I'll say credible, whether it's uh, anywhere from, uh, you know, a scholarly article or, you know, a, a, a you know, piece written by uh, a, a, well, you say newspaper organizations, but, you know, USA Today or, you know, you know, uh, I'll, I'll use uh, Chicago, for example, you know, look at how the Chicago Tribune puts an article out on a topic and look at the Chicago Sun-Times and see what kind of article they, how they write about that same article. Maybe they'll have different perspectives on it. Uh, if I were to use uh, TV, um, see how CNN sees the certain topic, see how Fox News sees a certain topic and force yourself to be open-minded. Matthew Saeed wrote the book, Black Box Thinking. And he talks about, uh, and this, and I really appreciate that book because he talks about, you know, keeping an open mind to have a growth mindset, being open-minded, be willing to hear other people's points, even if you disagree with it. And, you know, try not to have that fixed mindset, which is kind of more that, uh, that ties into stuff we've talked about before between ethnocentrism or, or the natural way of the human mind is I'm right. And, uh, by looking at that other information, uh, even if you don't give it a lot of, I'll say, uh, credibility, but at least it's out there. If it's a similar medium, like the two examples I gave, uh, and see how, you know, what kind of words they're using. And then when you have that conversation with that person that is on the uh, opposite spectrum, just talk about, you know, what, how do they form their beliefs and, and how, if they're, the information they have ties into their values because uh, values are very tough for someone to uh, accept a challenge by. But also, if I look at, I'll use uh, society as an example. Um, there's a technique called the onion model. And then the outer loop, you have uh, symbols. The inner one, I'm probably going to screw this up. Uh, the inner one, you have heroes. And remember, someone's hero could be another one's villain. You know, look at the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln wasn't always a hero to people, the entire American population at that time. You know, then inside there are uh, rituals. And then most inner core that onion layer is those values. And what bisects everything down to the value are practices. So if there is something that I, I firmly believe in to be true and someone is challenging my values, I should take a step back, count to 10. And ask a question, why Why are you attacking my value? Let's talk about this as rationally as we can. So even though I might disagree with you, I can appreciate where you're coming from and hopefully lower that emotional state that, uh, you know, if you, if you are really in a high emotional state, there's a chance you're going to do a immediate a heuristic action, a heuristic thinking, 
and you may not think about the comp, uh, the implications of your action, especially if it's uh, more of a physical nature, uh, which I know we've seen on, on TV sometimes with uh, uh, the protests of various things you want to uh, talk about, at least in contemporary American society today. So uh, I think if you're able just to slow down your thinking, take a pause up to five, especially or 10, if someone's really challenging what you believe to be one of your core values, um, try and talk about it. Try and say, where where did you get your information to support what you're talking about? This is where I got my information from. And if it's uh, getting you in that mindset where you have a very high emotional state, there's something called an amygdala hijack. There's two little glands in the middle of your brain that are going to kind of short circuit you to go to that heuristic thinking. Because if it's... Uh, if you're going to get into fear or get into uh, hate or get into love, those kind of core emotions, you're going to make heuristic thinking uh, and make that decision a lot quicker. So if you're able to expand that out to, you know, the neocortex part of your brain, the thinking part of your brain where logic and reasoning happens, that's where you can have that better, hopefully better conversation or just walk away and, and, and uh, don't engage at that time. Wait for yourself to cool off. You know, arguments happen. And then when you're calmer, then, then have that re-engage that discussion that, that you would like to have. So it's not just for cultural. This is the same thing in, in uh, business organizations. You have two big disagreements. Hey, everyone, let's take 20 minutes. <laughs> let's come back in 20 minutes and, and you know, I'm going to put this in a parking lot. Let's come back and, and talk about this after, you know, we've had a cup of coffee or, or beverage of choice and, and taking time to calm down. Rob and, and Brian, I, uh, what would you say to somebody that is like, you know what, I'm trying to find a credible source through the media and the majority of the media leans left. The majority of newsprint leans left. There's very few credible major news sources that are on the right side of the spectrum. You know, even if somebody goes out and finds something that is not on the in the mainstream media, it's immediately dismissed as conspiracy. Like, how would you how would you like respond to somebody that that says that? Like, hey, look, I'm looking for a credible news source, but everything you know, we all know CNN, MSNBC. You know, we all know the organizations that are slammed to the left, Fox is slammed to the right. And then, like, literally every newspaper, major newspaper in the country is left-leaning at this point. So, like, what would you say to somebody there where they're like, listen, I, I can't find anything that supports my, my side of things that's quote-unquote credible or quote-unquote mainstream. What do I do? Yeah, that's a good point, Eric. So, the first thing I would do is I would actually look outside the United States. I'd look at, uh, in this case... Uh, I use you know, CN, uh, CNN and Fox and this. What does BBB say? I mean, you know, we're, we're Western cultures, democracies. Uh, well, I get it. UK, they have a monarchy. I get it. But, you know, they have parliament and stuff. So what are what are what what is uh, Canada is saying about this? What is the UK saying? What's Australia saying about this, at least from a Western perspective? You know, or, uh, hey, uh, I'm sure there's credible news from Japan. And, and that's a democracy. India, world's largest democracy. What are they saying about this? They might not say anything about it. Maybe it's not important, you know, when I look at it cultural wise, not important to them. But if it is, what are they saying? Who are they, who are they quoting? 
you know, uh, you know, one of the things we talk about in the IC or, or in red teaming, if you're doing something like called argument deconstruction, why don't you look at the source, do some research on a source. I know, I know what you're talking about, leaning left or leaning right. Well, who's saying it? Who's writing it? Research, research those authors, research the speakers and, and you can kind of see where they might be leaning towards. And then I would try and find, I would say it, their their opposite doppelganger and see what they're reading uh, writing or saying in order for me to make the best informed opinion that I can for myself. Uh, that's what I would say is I'd actually uh, I'd actually go outside the United States and and look at at least English speaking countries first, see if this is a topic that they're covering and how are they writing about it. Maybe they'll have a different slant on it and that might help mitigate can't eliminate uh, biases are like LeBron James. LeBron James is going to score his points. You just hope he doesn't score a whole lot of points, right? So, uh, so that's where you try and, like I said, I, for me, I would try to, uh, what I would consider a credible source actually outside the United States, see what they're saying about it. Because maybe if they're not writing about it, uh, well, one, it might not be important for larger than just uh, uh, democracies to take it. In this case, consider maybe it's just just an American issue. And then at that, I'm actually at a blank. I'd have to do more research and give you a better answer. <laughs> I would also uh, point out uh, Al Jazeera. That's actually, as many people may be biased against it because of the name and thinking jihadis and, you know, uh, the Middle East is all terrorists, which is not the case. But there are a lot of biases in the U.S. Al Jazeera is one of the most objective non-U.S. sources I go to to see what what, I, what the what the stories are about. And as as Noonan mentioned, if you look at a story and you think, oh, this this outlet I haven't heard of. Is saying this okay? Well, just click. I get I get links all the time from people like Rob. Check it out. Check it out, Rob. Look what they're look what happened. Look what Trump did. Look what Trump didn't do. Look what those people did that, that are trying to get Trump. Whatever. I say okay, cool. Thanks for the link. Then I go to that site and I look at the next ten stories they've published, and I often find it's exactly the same stuff. It's all anti-Trump, anti-GOP, pro-Trump, pro-GOP. It's nothing more than one big mouthpiece for a political agenda. And then I dismiss that site and say, I'm not going to waste my time. I might get some information there, but I use the keywords, talk about uh, impeachment, talk about whatever the topic is at the moment, and go use those sources to look at those dates and times with other media outlets and eventually get the, 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 the sort of the center mass of the truth. This is so important, guys. This is such an important topic right now to talk openly, to have a better conversation. I'm so glad we can bring that subject up and so appreciative to you, Noonan, to Brian Noonan McDermott from the Red Teams of Old. <laughs> All of our work around the world we've done together here and there for red teaming. And, and it's such an important thing for America right now. I love America. I call myself a patriot and I always will. And that means having hard conversations. It means sublimating my ego. It means not having to be right all the time. I had a marriage counselor years ago when I was married that said, would you be happy or would you rather be happy or right? And I realized I have a choice. Being right often leads to not being happy. It mean, means I'm fighting for my, you know, my fixed mindset like you talked about, Noonan. Fighting to be right just makes my life miserable. I'd rather be happy and I'd rather be right together, find the right together by working to, to consensus. We need to have a better conversation in America and the world more than ever. So thank you uh, for bringing that to the table. What do you want to leave the listener with, Brian? 
I like to think, you know, when it comes to uh, a different uh, slant of red teaming, you know, maybe more this cognitive side of things, decision-making, planning. Thing I would leave you with is uh, the most powerful tool I've used that I learned from uh, my buddy Raz and the red, the UFMCS, the Army Red Team School, was Think Right Share. That will automatically slow down your thinking and help you develop you know, help you self-reflect and be aware of how you're thinking about a topic or a subject or, or a question, whatever the case may be. And then, you know, there's other training that we had at, you know, but, but just by asking questions, you know, asking an open-ended question, not a closed question, an open-ended question simply is just asking, you know, starting off with who, what, why, where, or how, I think there's another W I forgot. So five W's or one H. The person that's hearing your question will respond with a better, more comprehensive answer than yes or no. And that's where I think if you just slow down your mind and before saying something, if you don't agree with it, ask a question, get a better understanding of a perspective, not of yours in order to better, maybe it won't give you a better understanding and maybe you'll still disagree with it, but you can at least the other person hopefully would be able to appreciate that you actually took the time to ask them the question of how they came up with their thought or what are they using to support how they, what they're thinking about or what they're saying about. I guess that's what I would say. Think, right, share, and ask, just ask a better question. Yep. Get better questions lead to better conversations, better outcomes, safer families. It really is that practical. Thanks guys. Eric, brother, Noonan, brother. Guys, have a groovy day. Thanks for making this 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 little step in the right direction for, for the needs of our country and our culture right now. Let's protect America by conversing. Oh, thanks for having me, gentlemen. I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks to Impact Actual. You guys have a good evening. Aloha. And we will see you soon, dear listener. Have a groovy day, and see you soon. Thanks for joining us on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois the podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. For more information about Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, visit impactactual.com. And be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes or wherever you like to listen so you'll never miss a show. We'll see you next time on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois.